right. So gather around, come on in, grab your stuff. Uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna share something with you, and uh, uh, it's not only Rosh Hashanah; it's the tenth month of the year, and I believe that um, the Bible has their significance in numbers. And uh, if you're familiar with any numbers in the Scripture, so I was praying about it, and I felt like the Lord was dealing with me on ten, and and that He wanted me to deal with, uh, with laying out a vision for the church. And 10 in the Bible is always the number of testing, and it's also the number of infinite multiplication. And so uh, our, I'm going to show you something today, a vision for where we want to go as a church over the next year and kind of where we're rallying and angling the church towards uh, internally and externally what we want to do as well. And so it's based on five things, and five is the number of grace. So you can put the first slide up there if you would, please. You're going to get, if you give us your email, if we have your accurate email, you will be getting an email in the mail or in your e inbox, and it's going to be a PDF of these slides, and so you'll be able to go through the slides. It's basically, I put it together like a booklet. Uh, there's also a flip booklet um, that you may get that link to that as well, uh, so it won't look like this. It'll look a little different, but basically, I'm going to read for you what, what, what's in the booklet, and then I'm going to talk to you about sort of the five points of where we want to go as a church and what um, we want to do. Um, one of the things the Bible tells us in Proverbs is that where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, accurate, more accurate translation, that's an accurate translation, but a literal translation is where there is no revelation from God, the people have no direction or have no restraint. They're just everywhere. And so it's necessary that we have a revelation from God, that we have a vision from God, and that we begin to order our lives in line with that vision. That not just goes individually, that also goes corporately. So this is our corporate vision for the coming months. Uh, and, and so I'm going to read for you a little bit. And so Jesus has commanded his church to go into all the world. Do we believe that? Yeah. And to proclaim the good news, the gospel, literally the gospel of the kingdom. What Jesus has not done is he has not commanded us to be cool. He's not commanded us to be casual. He's not commanded us to be complacent. But he has commanded us to be effective. Everybody say effective. That's right. So whether we wear skinny jeans and have tattoos and wear a mohawk and paint our hair green, that's not the point. As long as we are effective. He's called us to be effective. Jesus says this, Herein is my Father glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. You will prove yourselves to be my disciples. And so the measurement of our discipleship or the measurement of the truth in which we follow the Lord is based upon the fruit that we bear or bringing about the things that God has called us to bring about. And so it's imperative that we as a church, that we as a people understand that our job is to bear fruit. And so elevate is intentional. Elevate leans in to the mission of God and what has gone on in the sort of the, the, the contrast of that is what goes on within our culture and what goes on within particularly the cultures of the churches. We have created a consumerism within the church. And we've created not a hunger for substance, but a hunger for vanity. And so there, it's, and what it ends up producing is it ends up producing an emptiness and a void within the heart of the believer. And it actually begins to propagate an indifference or a meaningless to the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, instead of calling the people into action and calling people into discipleship, and instead of trying to teach the Christian that they have a role to play 
and what Jesus wants to do in the earth, we basically tell him, sit back, relax, we're going to do it all for you. We're going to usher you in the door on Sunday. We're going to usher you out. We're going to, you know, do all that. We'll put some vibrating chairs in the front, maybe a beautiful, huge, you know, nautical aquarium in the, in the kids' ministry or something like that. We're going to dazzle you. We'll get the guitar player with tattoos and skinny jeans. And he'll, he'll and again, nothing wrong with any of this. But, but the problem is, is what we create is we create a consumerism or we create an objectiveness in the Christian's life to where we, they look and that becomes the standard. The standard according to the gospel is not externals but internals. And we've created a church that's focused mainly on externals and cares only about externals. And again, I will say that be the first to tell you, externals, externals matter, but not at, the, at, not at the price of substance, not at the price of internal. So I don't care if, if, if the worship leader wears skinny jeans and she, you know, she paints her hair green. I don't, I don't really care. Bring the glory. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't matter. Let the substance be within the church. And so what we, have to, what we have to confront as Christians is the culture within the church that's become seeker sensitive and creates a consumerism brand to where the people no longer hunger for the substance of God. They are hungry only for the relevance or, what, or, or the externals. Only thing that matters is the externals. It's not the substance of the church they go to. It's the image of the church they go to. That becomes a problem. You know? And we create all of these things. And there's nothing wrong with cool churches. And there's, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But it can, you better be, if you're a cool church, you better have substance. Because I can rest assured, Jesus is going to call you to account on that. Those churches, we may be dazzled, but Jesus isn't dazzled. Okay? He wants a light show. He's got all the stars around him. He can have a light show anytime he wants. And again, nothing wrong with light shows. That should happen. But not, everybody say it with me, not at the expense of substance. And what is the substance Jesus is looking for? That the church bear fruit and that the people be taught and trained to bear fruit. And that means that the people themselves have a responsibility and a role to play. That's the facts. That's the truth. That's how the Lord measures this stuff. That's what the lens of God is looking for. We, the glory of God, the goodness of God is released through the fruit that is born within his church. So with this in mind, we embark upon an ambitious vision. Say, it's ambitious. It's ambitious. Say, big God, big vision. I was trained by a visioneering pastor who always used to say, and I've heard him say it a few times in meetings, that I would rather believe God for the moon and get a star then believe him for nothing and get nothing. If we believe the Lord for nothing, we get nothing. So we believe God big. We believe him big. According to our faith, so be it unto us. We believe God. How big's your faith? How big's the vision? Take your faith and your vision and submit it to God and see what he says. I guarantee he's going to tell you something that's bigger than you. What you gave him is nothing compared to what he wants to do. Ha <laughs> ha. So we ask to take the time and read through this. You're going to get this in a booklet. Read through it and listen to the vision being laid out. And that you prayerfully commit to joining this church on this adventure. We feel that there's a mandate upon our church. We feel like the mandate upon this church is to, is to transform people. And everybody say this for me. Transformed people. Come on. Transformed people. Transform cities. That's right. We cannot transform a, we cannot transform a city unless the people themselves are transformed. And the people themselves cannot be transformed unless there's a leadership process or unless there's an ethos or a rhythm or a movement within the church that brings the people to that place. We want the higher things. Come on. We want the higher things. I'm not content. 
I want the higher things. You know, and a lot of times what we see and what I've seen and experienced with this church, even over the years, I've seen amazing things happen. But every time I see these amazing things happen, whether it be naturally, supernaturally, whatever it is, I always know there's more. And too often what we do is we settle with what, with, with what we've, you know, we get a little jingle bell and we go, oh, look, Jesus gave me a jingle bell. Well, you got a jingle bell, but he's got a whole sleigh for you. There's more. So we want to press into the high things. We want to press into the higher calling. If Jesus said we can transform cities and that we will be the rebuilders of wasted cities and that we will raise up the foundation of many generations as he's prophesied in Isaiah, if that is true, then we want to experience that. If that is true, we don't want to read it as a poem. We want to press into that and we want to see the foundations of many generations raised up. If that is true, then we want to see a wasted city restored. We want to see it. We don't know what we're doing. If you stick around here a lot, you're going to hear me say that. But we're going to go for it. You know, Christianity is learning by doing. So the vision is going to require, say these things with me, commitment, sacrifice, and consistency. That's the key. Okay? Commitment, sacrifice, and consistency. But in the end, it will come to pass because much is, much is accomplished if we will collectively put our efforts together and equally share in the effort. The church's dynamic is its unity. The church's power is its unity. The church's dynamic and power is not individual, although we are individuals. The church's power is the collective power that she holds. The collective power. Miracles in the house. I believe that God would create a network so powerful within the church that there would never be a person without a job because somebody within the, in, the, in, the, in the church would already have the opportunity. The miracles are always within the house. The opportunities are always within the house. That's the power of the church. If the church, if the Christian would fully tithe, there would never be a need for the church to ever raise a dollar. We always talk about fundraising. Why is the church always fundraising? Because less than 20% of the people actually give the full tithe. The church is actually supported by 18% of its congregants who give the full tithe. That means, what does that mean? That means, what is that? 82% of people don't tithe. I think 60% of people, 60% of Christians give nothing at all. Zero. But we say we love the Lord. Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. In other words, Jesus would say, open up your bank account and let me see how much you love me. And people go, oh, I don't know about that. It's not all about money, man. You don't know the gospel. And you know, you know Jesus. If you look in the Old Testament, he looked at the offerings of Cain and Abel. He knew what they were given. He knew why they were given. And where do we see Jesus in the New Testament? So we see it in the Old, so we have two witnesses. In the mouth of two witnesses, the matter is established. We have an Old Testament witness, and then we have a New Testament witness. Jesus is sitting in the temple courts, and what is he doing? He's watching what the people are giving. And now, of all the things Jesus could be doing, and he could be doing a lot of things, he could be out there loving his neighbor and healing the sick and raising the dead and giving prophetic word. He could be doing a lot of that. But he sat in the temple court and he watched what the people gave. He watched not only what they gave, he watched the reasons for them giving. I'm just telling you, we, we are either Christians or we're not. We are either people that are the substance of this kingdom and its reality, or we are vanity players in a drama that is outside of his purposes. We have to make up our mind which one we are. Are we playing a role in pretending to be something we are not, or are we going to accept the difficult truths of what this thing is all about? That's what we have to challenge ourselves on. You know, lots of people can skate by. I, keep, I think I was thinking about this this morning when I was playing football many years ago. 
So you played football, you don't look like you played football in a while. Yeah, well, that's true. When I grew up, I played football all through my school years. I played a lot of baseball too, but one of the things with football is, is everybody, it's a very difficult thing to endure. And our coach used to say it to us, if, anybody, if, if it was easy, anybody could do it. You know, if, you, anybody could, if this was easy, anybody could play this game because it literally tortures you. You throw up and, you know, ugh, you know they run you till you puke. It's like, it's not, not a good thing. If the gospel, the gospel, the entrance of the kingdom is easy, but to access the promises, it's going to require some effort. Do you want the promises? That's the question, man. I don't know about you. You know, I don't, you know, as a song, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't want to live, I don't want to live a lukewarm life. I want to light up this night with an everlasting fire because I don't want to live the casual Christian life. Where are you? I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't want to be a casual Christian. I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to stand before him. He's going to examine my life. He's going to know everything about me. And they say the only tears in heaven for the believer is the understanding that Christian will cry only to the understanding that they should have and could have given more. When we see him in his glory and we are before him, we will, we will be confronted with the fact that we could have given more. We would be confronted with the fact that we should have probably given more. And there's no judgment in that. It's just a reality. You know? But I want to stand before him with glory. I want to say I gave it everything, Lord. You know, we may not have succeeded. We may have, we, we, we swung the bat. We pressed in. We went for it. We had some victories. You know, but I want to stand before him, leaving it all on the field and having given everything I got. And that's the challenge. That's the heart of this church. And so if you're here, that's the direction that I'm going to be, I'm constantly going to be pulling you in as a Christian. The church is, everybody say this with me. The church is the bride of Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Who gives birth, the man or the woman? The woman. If we are the bride of Christ, okay, so the concept that God has created is a concept that's based between a man and a woman. The woman is, is impregnated because the man releases something. So the man releases something into his wife, and she conceives, carries, and gives birth. This is the role of the church. The Lord releases something. We are to conceive what it is that he's released. We are to carry what it is that he has released, and we are to give birth to what it is that he's released. And how many knows, ladies, is there anybody here that wants to tell me how easy birthing is? It's not really, it's not. Pregnancy's not. Neither is birthing. And I've never seen a woman that's given a natural childbirth after they just gave in birth. They go, hey, I'd like to do this four or five more times. Can we do this again? <laughs> she may figure that out after she's had the baby for a while. She wants another baby. She might like, oh, I'll go for it. I love the baby. I want more babies. But rarely, so the thing that we got to understand is if the Lord is releasing something into our lives, it is going to require us to conceive it, it's going to require us to carry it, it's going to require a formation, and it's going to require us to birth, and that birth is going to be uncomfortable. To give birth to the things Jesus wants, there's going to be contractions, there's going to be pain, and you're ready for this? You're going to have to push. We as a church, we as a community, you as an individual, if you want to give birth, you're going to have to push. And again, that comes right up against our cultural ideals of what Christianity is. That if you sweat, it's not Jesus. Well, where do you find that in the gospel? Nowhere. You know, or if it's hard, it must not be Jesus. Oh my gosh, you got a contraction that the Lord must not be in this. The Lord doesn't want you working that hard. I hear people tell me that all the time. Paul and Jesus in our day and age would be classified as workaholics. Jesus ministered so much that he collapsed and fell asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. Well, we don't want you working too hard now, Jesus. 
It's not, somebody told me a long time ago, it's not about you worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord is one aspect, but it's about the Lord using up the worshiper. We are consumed by him. He burns us like fuel for his glory and for his fire. Difficult, but true. This is reality. This is truth of this gospel. And this is what you all, deep in your hearts, you hunger for. You're all hungering intrinsically for something that you can give your life to fully. Something that will require something of you so great that something will transformative will happen in the process of you doing it. You all want it. You may be dead to it. You may have silenced the voice long ago, but nonetheless, you all want it. Because I know you're, you've created by a destiny-driven God. So I know you hunger for destiny because destiny is in you. And destiny lives in you. So next slide. So here's some verses for you. I'm going to talk about vision. So here we go with vision. Habakkuk is looking at a situation, and it is so far beyond his ability to conceive. He's like, how in the world is this going to happen? How in the world is any, what, what, what is going to change? What's going to happen? And the Lord says, I'm going to give you a vision, Habakkuk. So Habakkuk was the prophet. And the Lord said, I'm going to show you something. Everybody say, that is not, but I'm going to show you as though it were. That's how the Lord speaks. He's the God who gives life to the dead and calls what is not as though it were. He calls you what is not as though you were. Christian, world changer, son and daughter. He calls you what you are not as though you were. He calls you who you are long before you get there. And he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to show you something. And he said, in this vision that I'm showing you, so here we're going to have some requirements to this stuff. He's going to say, number one, you need to write it. And you need to make it plain. Now this goes to a vision, so we're talking about vision, this goes to a vision of a corporate church, and this goes to the vision of the individuals. Individuals do not attain their, their, their vision from God. They get a vision from God, but they've never wrestled with the vision in order to make it plain. God tells you something, but you don't wrestle with it and determine that and, and, and just do the hard work of trying to figure out what it is that he told you to do. He gives you a vision. And he says, make this vision, make this raw thing that I'm giving you, make it plain. Wrestle with me. Figure it out. This is, he's called you to do something, called you to be. So number one, we never wrestle with the vision. And number two, we never make it plain or we never write it down. And so we go, well, I got a vision. And then what we think is we think, oh, God, Jesus is going to do it. And so we've wrestled with this vision. I know I've wrestled with this vision. I wrestle with a vision for this church all the time. Jesus's, the church is Jesus' idea. And so I believe if the church is Jesus' idea, then what is it that you would like to do with the church, Jesus? First of all, what is a church? And secondly, what would you like to do? That's a great opportunity, isn't it? Since it is his. So, you know, I wrestle with what it is the Lord wants all the time. And so this is part of the wrestling process. This is part of the making it plain. Why? So that he that reads it may run with it. So here we have, conceptually, even into your life, single Christian, is that we, God gives you a vision, but have you taken the time to wrestle through the vision? Have you taken the time to think through what it is or process through or, or wrestle with God what it is that he's actually telling you? Then step two, have you taken the time to actually write it down? Have you articulated it in a clear way? Have you wrote it and then edited it and wrote it and then edited it? Have you done that? And then thirdly, you need to run with it. In other words, you've got to do something. Do something. You've got to push into the vision. We think Jesus is going to show up and do it all for us. No, he's not. He's, a, he's going to give you enabling power for you to do. It is Christ in us, willing and doing. 
The vision that God gives you is going to require you. He doesn't show up with a lottery check on your front lawn. He just doesn't do that. Well, I'm just waiting for God to bring me the job. Well, have you looked? Have you stepped out? Have you put out any resumes and any applications? Do, I mean, there's a, there's a starting point, you know? I mean, and we talk about that in relationship to almost anything that we have in our life. We have to position ourselves and we have to push into it. And it says the vision is going, so here we have, make the vision plain, write it down, press into it. In other words, do something. And then lastly, it tells us to be patient. Be patient. For though the vision is for an appointed time, but in the end, the vision will speak. What I've told you to do, if you will follow the process, it will come to pass. I think about David. David was anointed king. I think he ran in the wilderness. I know it's at least 13 years. I might get David and Joseph mixed up here, you know, but <laughs> as to how many years. But I know it was over a decade that before David actually became a king. How'd you like to be anointed by king, have a prophet declare over you, and then you, run, you, end, up being, you end up running for your life for the next 10 years? <laughs> Nobody goes, sign me up for that one. You know, David's 16 years old. I mean, Joseph, the man of many colors, had a vision from God, a prophetic vision, and he was walking in it. He's like, y'all going to bow down to me. I wear the coat of many colors. I have a vision from God. <laughs> he went to prison. He went to jail. He was sold by his brothers. He was betrayed. All of this stuff ended up happening to him in order that God could form him into the person that he could actually hold that position. So the Bible tells us that we need to be patient Though the vision tarries, wait for it because it will surely come to pass. This is something, again, I just want to get this into you before we even get into vision. And I'm running out of time. I'm completely talking myself to death because anyway, but there's a release going on here that I think is necessary. Um, Galatians, do not be weary in well-doing for in good due season you will reap. The Christian needs to understand that you have an inevitability on you. You cannot fail. The only way the Christian fails is when they quit. God has decreed, the victorious God has decreed an inevitable uh, decree. You will reap if you don't quit. You will reap what God has told you. You will enter the promises. You will do as he, if you will follow what he has told you to do and line yourself up and continue to do it, God says it will happen. No other people on the planet have such a decree over their lives. No other people have a decree that you cannot lose and you cannot fail. No other people. No other people have a decree that says such something like God will work all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according. No other people have that. God said, even when you screw up, don't worry, I'm going to work it out for your good. I don't know. E.F. Hutton isn't making that promise to me. I mean, I, mean I, I haven't heard any presidential candidates making that promise to me. Not that I care, but nonetheless. You know, but Jesus makes that promise to me. He makes that promise to you. Nehemiah, he says, I told them the hand of God that was upon me. So here's Nehemiah sharing with the people. He's like, I have a vision from the Lord. And I have a king, I have a secular government that's willing to fund the vision that I have from the Lord. And so he shares the vision from, with, of the Lord and he tells them where, what all this means. And the people say this, already say it with me. Let us arise and build. So Nehemiah shared the vision with him told them the concepts, told them everything that was God was doing because the city was wasted. And God said, I'm going to do a restorative process in a city, Nehemiah. And you, O oh lowly Nehemiah, that nobody knows about, nobody cares about, I'm going to send you and a ragtag group of people, a ragtag handful of people, and I'm going to establish a work that will last generations. And people that are going to look at it, they're going to laugh at you. And that's exactly what happened to him. 
He got laughed at. He got mocked. Even as he was trying to build and do the thing that God was doing. Oh, who do you think you are, Nehemiah? Oh, what you're building here is pathetic. You and what? These people are going to do this work? Oh, come on. But he built the temple. He did what the Lord told him because God was with him. And the people were united in unity and saying, let us, grow, let us arise and build. And so the people united in a commitment. And the people said together, let us strengthen our hands. In other words, let us unite to this and let us do this together. And let us physically commit to what it is that this is being said. This is how the kingdom comes upon the earth. We're so easily, we're so easily pacified. I believe God is calling for a generation that is like the prophet. says, we will give our souls no rest until your kingdom comes. We will not rest until we see heaven come. We will not rest until we, well, we got to, you know, that's not what the Bible says. We will not rest until what you have called comes to pass. The vision is a vision of faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. Our goal is the same as Paul's. Paul's writing to this Corinthian church. Amazing things going on in Corinth. And they're like, oh, Paul, you're so wonderful. You're so awesome. You're so amazing. And Paul's like, listen, we do not boast, nor do we claim credit for the work that others have done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow and that the boundaries of the work of the ministry to the Lord among you would be extended. Paul is talking about the motivation of what he's doing. And he's saying, look, it's not about me getting my name, my face on the cover of a magazine, handing out, putting my name on a billboard so everybody can see it. It's not about me doing a Barnes & Noble book tour and signing autographs. He said, that is not my goal. He's saying the goal is that, th that, your, that the faith of the people would be inspired. My goal is that the work of the ministry would prosper and that the kingdom would be established. So much of our motivation is wrong. We're cult of personalities in America, and I know nothing wrong with our leaders. But I would say to any leader that ever hears me, and which, again, who am I? I'm no one. But if God has given you a position of visible influence, you better use it for his visible influence and not pacify a culture with it. Stand against the wind and speak what God has told you to speak. Instant, in season, and out. There should be no difference. The voice of the Christian who has a celebrity profile should be speaking into the culture, the things and the ways of God, and not being complicit to the culture, but speaking. This is what the Lord says. This is the righteousness of God. This is the holiness of God. We don't want to do that because if we do that, we won't be like. But nonetheless, the goal of the church is to establish the boundaries of ministry and grow the faith of the people. So this is what this vision is all about. Next slide, please. So we're going to do this acrostic. And the next pages, or this is what you're going to get when you get in the email. And it's going to be, we're, going to, we're going to talk about and create fully developing disciples of Jesus Christ out of their design. We are chosen not just, we're not just the chosen, say this with me. I'm not just a chosen generation. I am chosen in my generation. You were chosen in your generation. We will grow stronger together through worship. We will go closer together through fellowship. We will grow deeper together through discipleship. And we will grow more powerful through ministry. And we will grow larger through mission. The opportunities before us are great. And now is the time to embark with great faith. We are very excited about the future and the possibilities. So let us set our hearts to the work. So we're going to do a little acrostic of faith. I'm just going to give you five quick points of what it is that we're going to be doing over the next year. And where it is we're going. So next slide, please. The first one is F. Everybody say it with me. Fill the house. Uh-huh. Fill the house. Our goal is to increase weekly attendance by 25%. We want to average 175 to 200 people weekly in attendance. Why? Why? Because Jesus wants as many people as possible under his influence. Would you agree with that? 
You think Jesus is content with people not knowing or hearing? Even Christians who don't find any value in going to church. That is completely outside of the concept of God. He wants people under the influence of the gospel. He wants Christians participating in their kingdom rights and kingdom dynamics. Jesus wants as many people under the influence. Luke says this, the master, that would be Jesus, the servant, that would be us. Jesus doesn't say, Jesus says, the master says to his pastors, is that what it says? Doesn't say it at all. The master says to the people, to the servants, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Why? That my house may be full. People do not come to Christ. The, the, the pastor fishes with a pole. The people fish with a net. Okay? This is the difference of me standing on a dock with a pole throwing out a line trying to catch a fish as opposed to a group of people throwing out a net. That's the point. So what does this look like? The church grows as the sheep will multiply themselves. Healthy sheep reproduce. Say this with me. I am responsible for my circle of influence. You are. The people that are around you are strategically placed around you. Your job is not to win them to Jesus, but your job is to influence them towards him. And one of the ways you influence them towards him is not just through lifestyle and all this stuff and carrying a 50-pound Bible. That's not, you know, we've got family-style Bibles or even, you know, not even letting anybody know you're a Christian. The way you influence them, one of the ways you influence them is by inviting, inviting them to church. Whether we like it or not, the church is the birthing mechanism of the kingdom. More people come to Christ in the context of the church than they do through individual one-on-one -on -one evangelism, which that's virtually non-existent anyway, so nobody's really doing that anymore. You know, very, only a handful of people I know are actually doing one-on-one -on -one evangelism. But the church is the birthing mechanism. So in other words, you've got to bring the people to the mother in order that the church may, that there, there might be birth. Does this make sense to you guys? You guys understanding this? And so what does that look like? So okay, so it looks like we as a church have a corporate responsibility to empower the people. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do what? To work the ministry. So the job of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is not to work the ministry. The job of the church leadership structure is to empower you to do the very thing that God has called you to do. Do you understand that? So we as a church, are, are, we are responsible to create, um, uh, to create a structure or create a process in which you can be empowered to do the very thing that God has called you to do. So if God's called you to evangelize, well, then we're called to equip you or create opportunities for you to do that. And every single Christian is called to evangelize. You may not be Billy Graham, but you are Andrew. Andrew brings people to Jesus. Billy Graham, you know, you might not be, you know, given the proclamation or Paul or whoever. You may not be that person. You may not be an orator, but you are an inviter. And every single person can invite. Every one of you can. And so we as a church, we're doing four designed outreach events over the next year. Each one is in a season, spring, summer, winter, fall. So we're doing an evangelistic event over the next year in these four areas. The first one's fall thing, but the, the evangelistic event is not fall thing. It's the bounce back, which we're doing free holiday pictures. So the bounce back is we're doing free holiday pictures here, Christmas pictures. We do it for years. Some of you got like four or five of them on the wall because we've been doing them since we started fall thing. But so your outreach event is to be, have an opportunity to invite your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, the coffee girl, the waitress, whomever, and say, hey, my church is doing free family portraits. You should come. You know, that, that's, that's one opportunity. We're gonna try to, we are going to create for you flyers. We're going to put tools in your hand. And again, the idea is to lower the bar. Say, oh, you need to come to church with me. Why? Because uh, you need Jesus. Okay. 
Well, that, that may be part of it, and if you can do that, then go for that. That's not, I'm not taking anything from that. But there's, again, there's an incentivation. So then we're going to do that, right? You guys with me on this so far? So you have an opportunity to invite people, and you need to invite people, and you need to get your family, get your, you know, hey, come, we're going to do free holiday portraits. The message on these four days over the next year is going to be the same. The message will be the same thing, maybe coming out of different ways, but the message is going to be, why do you need Jesus, and why do you need to be a part of a church? Because ultimately, you're going to get two people, two different types of people in that crowd, and you're going to get the person who's never known the Lord, so we're going at them, and then you're going to get the Christian that doesn't think church has any value. And so we're going to make the message to you, like, you need to be in connected to a church. So that's just the point. And so Christmas, we're doing movie ticket giveaway the whole month of December. Everybody go, ooh, ah. What does that mean? All first-time guests get a free movie ticket and the person that brings them. Yes. And we did, we've done this in the summer a few times, and we've given over uh, 100 movie tickets, which means that, that month when we did the movie tickets, we had probably 50 first-time guests. We haven't done it in probably the last two years, but when we have done it, it's been very successful for us. And so you can get four movie tickets in the entire month of December. You bring one person one week, one person the next week, one person the next week, and they're all first-time guests. You get a ticket each time you bring a person, right? Or if you're a family of four and you all bring four people with you, each person gets the, the first-time guest and the person that brings them. That's how it works. So that's an opportunity. And you go, wait a minute. Why do we need to bribe people to come to church? Okay, first of all, we live in Miami, number one, what's in it for me, city? Secondly, I would take it to you from its context of Jesus and fish and chips. Exactly. The, they weren't following him in mass because he was giving some great speech. They were coming to him because he was feeding them loaves and fishes. Where's the guy who brings down bread? Where's the guy who hands out the fish and chips, man? And then people would be eating the fish and chips and they'd be listening to Jesus while he talked, responding to him. So it's completely within the context of the gospel. We call people for purposes for other reasons. We're going to do Easter. Easter's a big one. Reach out. We're going to do an egg hunt. We do an egg hunt in the, in the local community, not because we support anything related to an egg hunt, but because that's what people will go to. The lost are not going to go to Christian events, people. Understand? We could do a Jesus fest over there, and you're not going to get lost people. You've got to reach people where they are. And so we've got to go into the culture in order to reach the culture. Do special services, and we're going to do an event in the summer. So what's the deal? The goal is to, it's for each person, say it with me, each person, that means me, to invite at least five people to each of these events. And everybody says with me, no excuses. That means you invite 20 people over the year, or you invite the same person four times. And you're going to drive them crazy so much that they're going to go, all right, I'll go. And people come to Jesus that way. You'd be shocked how many people come to Jesus because somebody kept beating on their door and wouldn't let them alone. So here would you, the part, the, the how is list 10 people. We'll give you a form. You'll get it in the email. It lists 10 people that you, you, you're willing to invite or that God puts on your radar. Just 10 people. Begin to pray about them and begin to ask the Lord to open up opportunities. We're going to provide you with flyers and invites. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to begin to pray and you're going to be ask God for opportunities and you know what he's going to do? What do you think he's going to do? He's going to open up opportunities. And do you know why? Because he wants to reach them way more than you do. He wants to touch them way more than you do. And all he's looking for, he needs a partner in this world in which to work with. You go, oh Lord, just, you know, I just pray for my people and I just want you to open up opportunities for me to share, prepare their hearts. However, we put a little prayer in there. You know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to push you and he's going to go put these flyers in your purse. 
Put the flyers in your back pocket. Put the flyers in your glove box. He's going to start pushing on you. Get the flyers and put them in your purse because I'm going to open up the opportunity and I'm going to tell you. He's going to open up the opportunity. And you're going to have more opportunities than you know what to do with if you will follow that process. I'm telling you right now. You ask people, oh, I want to witness to people. God will provide opportunities. You ask people, oh, I want to bless people. God will provide opportunities. Talk about supernatural activation. We talk about that all the time. And if you see that and you say, oh, God, where, where is it that you want to activate? And if you open yourself to the spirit, you will see an entire room full of people that God wants to touch. Because he wants to reach people more than we do. And we think we're the only people that want to reach him. No, we don't even want to give ourselves to the opportunity to let him do that. So you look for, you pray for, and you activate the opportunities to invite. So I'm going to give you guys this. You'll get this in the email, and you'll be able to read through it, and you'll kind of understand the process that we're looking for. We want to call you into something. You say, oh, I don't feel like inviting people. I don't feel like inviting people. I'm going to give you a couple verses. Number one says this, greater love is no one than this than to lay their life down for their friends. You need to lay your life down for other people that they may hear. And the second one, well, it's just not me. That's not the kind of person I am. Well, I got another verse for you. Deny yourself take up your cross and follow. You get it? That's the whole point of denying. Well, that's not who I am. I just don't feel that's the person I am. Well, Jesus is great. Therefore, deny yourself, kill that person, and step out into somebody that you're not. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. And I don't feel like that. That's not the kind of person I am. That does not pan out in heaven. He doesn't take that as an excuse. And he doesn't go, oh, you're right. You know, I realize you're a reserved person and you're an introvert. So you get a hall pass on this one. He doesn't give you a hall pass. We don't get hall passes on that. He tells you, deny yourself. Provide me next slide, please. I'm going to move fast. Sorry, I'm a little over, but we'll get through it. It's not, this isn't that long. Second, the second A is achieve the goal of raising $100,000 to $150,000 to start and operate a Christian school. You heard me talk about that a few weeks ago. Why would we want to do that? Because it's going to give us the opportunity to impact and transform a generation. It's what Jesus wants. It creates an opportunity to create influence, to create a process, to take people from a redemptive people that are in certain areas and drive them towards something and create a brand of a Christian or a band of a person that's world changers. How do we do this together? We achieve more. It's not that hard. The power of the church is its collectiveness. The power is here. You can raise $100,000 like that. Like that. How can you do that? You get 100 people to commit 100 perks a month for 10 months, and what do you got? You got $100,000, don't you? Well, I don't know if I want to commit $100,000. You know, again, it's commitment and sacrifice. Can you give up your lattes? That's something that, can get, that's something that can be established for generations might happen. Can you give up your movies? We got you covered in the month of December. Don't worry, right? <laughs> we got you there. Can you give up something? Can you take a portion of your life and set it aside as a sacrifice unto the Lord that something greater than you can be established? A school will give us the ability to raise up foundations for many generations. Our goal is to create multiple schools, not one. Our goal is to pilot and create one model that we can replicate. That's our goal. That's ambitious, I know, but we want to dot the county with life-changing, transformative schools. Again, ambitious, but we can't do it if you don't participate. If you don't take ownership of this, it isn't going to happen. I mean, here's what I would say. It will happen because I already know the Lord told me it's going to happen. But I go back to Esther. And he said, for such a time as this, you've been given this opportunity. You are being afforded. When God asks you to do something, you are being given an honor. You are being, you know, people look at tithing. Oh, God wants my money. He gives you an honor to give into his kingdom. That's an honor. You know how many people would love to honor a king? You know how many people would love to give honor to someone? And Jesus gives you that opportunity. 
And then he puts in, he says, and I'm going to bless you on top of that. And then not only this, when God puts a vision in front of you and he calls you to give into it, he's giving you an honor to participate in something that's higher than yourself. When things like this are established, it will echo for generations. It is an echo. It is multiplication in the highest regard. What a church produces collectively, if it's done right, echoes. Lives are changed. New directions are happening. Multiplication happens through the lives of people in no other setting but through the church. The same thing with the school. You will change trajectories of lives forever. Forever. We're not doing an academic school. We're doing a life transformational school. Academics is only one part of the process. Our goal is to create a mindset and to train from kindergarten through 12th grade a mentality, a way of thinking, rooting out, pulling down, building and planting. Entrepreneurial, kingdom, literate, supernatural mindset. That's what we're trying to produce. We're not interested in the you know, reading, writing and arithmetic, although that's important. We want life transformation. We want a transformed student to come out the other end of those doors when, we're, when they're done. We, this is our goal, and this will happen. This will happen. We've raised almost $45,000 of 100 grand. You don't think it's going to happen? I had, 30, I had almost $40,000 committed, and I hadn't even told anybody about it. But you know what I do? I think God holds back because he reserves a portion for the people. And he says, do you want to be a part of this? Let the people be a part of it. And if the people will not be a part of it, then God will go, okay, I got a guy out in California, I want you to call him. I got a guy in Nevada, I want you to call him. I got a guy up here in North Florida, I want you to call him. If the people will not, then God will bring the provision another way. But he gives you a great honor. He presents to you a great honor. And you need to understand that this is an honor. It is an honor. It is not a burden, it is an honor. It's actually one of the things that God says in, the, in Isaiah when it talks about raising up foundations. If you will stop calling my ways a burden, blessing will be released. If you will stop saying everything I ask you to do is a burden to you, and you will start to say what I tell you to do is a blessing, things are going to change. That's the same chapter that has the verse attached to it that says you will raise up the foundations of many generations. Same one. He gives us keys there. Stop telling me what I'm asking you to do is a burden. You want release? Stop complaining about it. So I believe God is reserving a portion for this church to take ownership of it. So you got a chance. And you got an opportunity. And so I encourage you to take the form, fill it out, pray about it, and commit and begin to give into it. Give small, be consistent. Minimum pledge of 100 bucks a month over and above your tithes and offerings. Well, that means I may not get, be able to go to Starbucks every week. Well, you probably won't. You know, you, you probably won't. $5 coffee, five, five, six days a week, that's 30 bucks. Times four, that's $120. If all of you just give up a $5 coffee a week or a day. Five days a week, 25 bucks a week we spend on coffee. Can you give up the Starbucks? And can you get Maxwell House and take a thermos with you? You see how easy it is? $25? It's easy. Completely be done. Instruct those. Watch this. This is a big one. I'm going to close. I'm going to, the last two were very quick. Last three. First Timothy says this. This is a pastor's job. One of the pastor's jobs is to instruct the people how to use their money. So how do you know this? Because Paul is telling Timothy, the pastor of this church in Ephesus, he says, tell the people to use their money for good. Instruct the people in how they are to use their money. They are not to be rich. They are to be rich in good works, and they are to be generous 
willing to share. In the way that they do this, they will store up for themselves enduring riches of a good foundation for their future so that they will take hold of what that which is truly life. One of the purposes of the pastor and the purpose of the church is to take people and to get the understanding that it's not all yours, Christian. And you are to take what God has given you and you are to sow it into his higher purposes. And there are seasons and times for that. And it needs to be a regular rhythm of our lives. That there are seasons and times where we sow and there are seasons and times where we reap. We give the offering to support the, to tithe to support the church. We give the offering to further the purposes of the kingdom. That's how it works. Next slide. We want to integrate the church. What does that mean? We want to create new communication tools. We want to be able to manage these things. It's not just creating them. It's managing them. An app, live streaming, and we want to begin an online campus. And what's the problem with that? Why can't we staff it with volunteers? That's what people say. Because volunteers do exactly that. They volunteer. And oftentimes with a volunteer, we lack consistency. Because volunteers tend to operate more out of convenience. Well, I can't do it this week. I can't do it that week. I can't do it this week. And so we need to have some, a little bit of leverage money, you know, not, not a lot, to be able to get someone to manage this. Online campus, when we've streamed live, um, we, and we stream in very primitive ways, we had over 50 subscribers to our live stream, <laughs> go figure, in the four corners of the world. And so what would happen if we actually did that at a higher level? What would happen if we actually gathered ourselves together and said, listen, let's put some meat behind this, let's put some weight behind this, and let's see if we can do this professionally, and what would happen if we did it that way? Would we get more influence than that? It provides the church, your church, global influence in a way that we can't get any other way. We live in a 21st century and an Internet generation. We should be leveraging that. We should be leveraging that. The problem, again, is it's an issue of money. It's always an issue of money. Money is part of the process. And I, you know, I hear complaints. I'm even hearing it in my spirit. The church is not a business. No, the church is a business. It's your father's business. And you better get that in your head. You are to be about your father's business. Oh, church isn't a business, pastor. I'm like, read your Bible. You better believe it is. It's an organism. We're not about profit. We're about profit for the gain of, of the Lord. We're about the process and the people. That's what we're about. But nonetheless, that is our father's business requires part-time management of the streaming in the online campus, as well as a video edit and upload, and a streaming account and a video capture card. These are the requirements. So what's that look like? We're probably looking at 100, 150 bucks a week to get somebody to come in and manage and film and edit this thing to just, it, just, just our services. You're looking at about 100 bucks a month um, for a live streaming pro account. Say, we can do this for free. Have you seen the free accounts? They don't give you any bandwidth at all, and you, you can't upload more than maybe two or three videos, and then you're done. So we have to, in order to do it right and to do it professionally, you're going to need about 100 bucks a month in a subscription service to do a streaming account. It's just the way it is. It's the, it's the way of the world. It's the reality. So there's got to be somebody that manages this, takes responsibility of it. Because the last thing you want, okay, you're subscribing. And then we got, we got live stream this week, but we don't have live stream next week. We got live stream this week, but then we don't have live stream for the next two weeks. Why? Because the volunteer decided they didn't want to show up. You know, you see where I'm going with this? And so the opportunity is for us as a church to create global influence and ultimately to hopefully offset some of the costs through expanded giving. So if the guy in China wants to give, all for it. If the guy in, in the Philippines wants to give, all for it. And we're going to give opportunities for that if we do this professionally. And so ultimately, part of this cost of the expenses will be offset by the additional giving. That's the idea. So we want to integrate the church. We want to enter in the, the app and the management of the app will create better connection points between the church and its, and its people. But that stuff requires management. 
Anybody have a website? If you have a business and you have a website, you're, you're amazed, they're probably shocked at how much management your website actually requires. It requires management. So this type of thing requires that. Okay, next slide, A, F-A-I-T, last two. So we want to train 25 to 50% of the people into ministry leadership. We want 25 at minimum, 25% of this congregation trained and equipped for ministry leadership. 15 to 10, 10 to 15%, level one, 10 to 15%, level two, and we'll take higher numbers if we can get it. Why? Because Jesus wants fully developing followers. Why would we want to do this? Because Jesus doesn't want babies all the time. He's, the nursery gets full. I think that Jesus, the heaven's nursery is full of spiritual babies. Here's the writer writing to the church at Hebrews. He says, you people need to be teaching. You should actually be ministering now, but you're not. You've been a Christian how long? And you're not ministering? That's a failure on the part of the church. That's a failure at a level of commitment to you. And that's a failure on the part of the church to, 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 to train you. Why? Because it is the gospel. You need someone to teach you elementary principles. You've become continually in need of milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on only milk is inexperienced in the word of God, unskilled in righteousness, and is a spiritual infant. In other words, God's saying, grow up. But solid food is for the spiritually mature whose sensors have been trained by practice. So here we have two ideas. Where does spiritual maturity come from? Spiritual maturity comes through training, okay, training and equipping the people and allowing the people to practice what they've been trained. Then we have a group of spiritually mature people. So what's that look like? Level one for us, a completion of level one is our ministry training process of EMT one. It's going to teach you what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a servant, what, it, what church is about, and what, what, what the dynamics within the church are. Fire starters, we're doing that tonight. That's part of the thing we're doing tonight. Rocket Bible is an is a, a eight- to nine-week rocket ride through the Bible to understand the books, its concepts, and how they all work together. Bible School, New Testament, one. And, and so that would be a requirement to complete level one. Level two would be EMT two, school, EMT two, school of the prophetic, Bible school, Old Testament. So if you're, two, if you're level two training, you've, you've been through Bible school one and two. You, know, you, should know, you should be familiar with your Bible. So that's our goal. And our goal is to get at least 25% of our congregation trained in ones and twos. Why? Because now all of a sudden we have a kingdom of priests. Now all of a sudden we have a church full of people who don't need ministry and aren't a bunch of babies sucking on a bottle, but we actually have some grown adults in the room that can minister to babies. You understand? We actually have what, would, what the Bible would call a multiplication of ministry. The ministry is multiplied. And you begin to walk in who you are. That's the point. Last one. This is another one. H, last one. Sorry about this. I'm a little over, but I'm long-winded. Say, speak the vision, Kevin. Thank you. One of you. Thank you right there, my man. I got one guy want me to speak the vision. That's awesome. Lastly, is we want to establish a gospel-centered church in another country. This is, again, ambitious. Why? Because our mandate is regional. We have a mandate that is on us that we believe is regional. And so in order to actualize the mandate or to see the thing actually come to pass, you've got to begin to push into something that is not reality yet. And so we believe that we're called to reach a region. And so if that's the case, then we're going to, we're, that's why we're doing the school. And if that's the case, then we're going to begin to push in to the, uh, to the surrounding areas. How are we going to do that? So that's the what. That's the why. Our mandate is regional. The, what, the how is we're going to partner. We're going to create relationships with churches or church planners in other countries. We want to help them by training, gaining, training them in integrating our culture. I'm not interested in supporting a church that is not relational to our culture. 
What is our culture? Teaching of the word of God and supernatural ministry. That is our culture. That is what we want to do. That is what we want to, that is the multiplication of the church. Feeding programs don't change nations, ladies and gentlemen. Thank Jesus for the feeding program. Thank God for the medical mission. Thank God for all the students that go down to Haiti and build benches in the summertime. Thank God for that. But that will not redeem the nation. Churches change the nation. The glory comes through the church, always and forever. We've got to understand that if we want to change nations, we better be planting churches. We want to plant schools, and out of the schools, we're going to plant churches. That's the backstory of behind the school. <laughs> so as we multiply the schools, the schools are going to become the benefactor of the church. So the schools, are going to, the schools are going to create the revenue that enables the church to come through it. So that's the backstory. We want to plant schools, but we also want to plant churches because I believe and I know that churches are what transform cities, and churches are what transform cultures. So that's what we're going to do. The goal is church multiplication. So our desire is to help and find and identify ministry partners in other countries and pray and see what the Lord would have us to do and take those who are willing to be a part of our culture and begin to train them and integrate them into what it is and who we actually are and to take our system and our processes into that culture and begin to multiply that out. You believe it? It's I told you it was ambitious. <laughs> you overwhelmed? No. Come on. It's the year of building. So we're calling it out. Put that back up. Can you put that last slide back up? I just want to end it with this. This slide. Then I'm going to pray and we'll dismiss. So here's a song. This is to you and to us. May the Lord remember your gifts and may he look favorably upon your offerings. May the Lord grant your heart's desire and he make, may he make your plans succeed. So what do you do? So we're going to send you, the, you'll get the email. There's pledge forms for the school on the, on the counter over there, but you're going to get the email, and it's going to have this in a different format, but you'll get the same information in a booklet in your email, a PDF file. And then uh, in, the, in the file that you'll get in your email, uh, there'll be um, uh, just a prayer sheet where you can list 10 people, and there'll also be a commitment form for you uh, should you choose to partner with the school. And so that'll be an opportunity for you as well. So that's what I would challenge you to do. I want you to be aware of what it is that we are doing and where we are going as a church. And this is our goal. This is what we're pressing into, and this is what we want to become. Are you excited? Yes. yes. Come on. Everybody say, change the, world. change the world. That's right. Change the world. Let me bless you. We have a prayer team. If there's anybody here from the prayer team, I don't know if there are, um, uh, but if you guys will have a prayer team available. So I just want to re briefly remind you, Bible school is going to happen, and then tonight at 4 o'clock we're going to do fire starters, and we're going to be talking about healing and teaching you and coaching you through um, ministry and healing to the sick. And if you know anybody sick in body, and you know anybody has any kind of physical ailments or physical things, go get them and bring them here. And, uh, yeah, anyway, Jesus is going to do something good. So, Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We just release this out. We make it plain, God. I pray that the people who hear and read this would run with it. And so we just honor you and what you have called forth us to do. And we lay our lives down before you, Lord. And God, we just thank you for it. And I just speak life over this church and over these people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. And forever may you abide within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Yeah.